Welcome to the Star Citizen Night Bus, a quirky mixture of fact, fiction, and opinion. I'm your host, Alyssiana from AlyssianasWorld.com. This week's show focuses on community reaction, lore, and more fiction. I'll have to save the conclusion of Bryony's Dilemma for the next episode. I still need to finish the final edits. I planned it for this show, but Chop Shop got away from me. What I sat down to write as flash fiction ended up as a full-length short story. This week's show topics are So Much Angst Lore from Zira PvP, You In or Out and Chop Shop Please sit back, relax, and I'll see you on the other side. Exiting Stasis, the night bus departed in 3, 2, 1. So much angst. Some weeks, it feels as though the Star Citizen community is trying its best to tear its throat out. Pages of angst-filled posts on Reddit, rage posts on the forums, and angry comments everywhere. It's not that I don't see the fumbles being made by Cloud Imperium Games on their way to developing the ambitious project collectively known as Star Citizen. I shake my head at some of the decisions. I cringe at the fodder they too easily hand to their detractors. I feel embarrassed at times that they don't cover their asses a bit better. Baby, it's cold out in a world where you're tottering on being the most expensive game ever made and title for most crowdfunded project. And yet, anger isn't an emotion I've experienced. A senior VP I worked with closely for many years and respected gave me some valuable advice. It was to help me temper my expectations of others. First is that most people endeavor to do the right thing and be good at their jobs. They don't go out of their way to fail. And when they do, it's not intentional. Accusations and recriminations aren't helpful. They don't change the outcome. Suggestions for improvement without emotion and negative words are better received. And also remember that everything appears easier than it really is when you're gaping from the outside looking in. I haven't witnessed any mistakes, missteps, or less than stellar choices that I perceive to be intentional. Lacking intent, I can be disappointed, but it doesn't move me to anger and it doesn't inspire me to issue internet threats. If you've personally had enough, that's your right. But do the readers on Reddit or the forums really need to know that you're done? It's over. For you, the sky is falling and it brought the last straw with it. CIG has certainly had their fair share of speed bumps. And at times they appear out of touch, at least with a vocal minority, which I'm not a fan of them reacting to anyway. And even still, I'm all in. It's not defending. It's not being a zealot. It's about realizing that this is a complicated project with many moving parts. Even Jordan has missed a free throw, didn't pass the ball when he should have, or rimmed out of the basket at the buzzer. Who among us is perfect? 
I simply can't see any evidence of them not working hard, trying their best to deliver the dream that is Star Citizen. That said, I'm not immune to being disappointed or rolling my eyes at some decisions. Holiday Livestream, I'm looking at you. Like most, I wish there was more content, the whole project progressing faster, more stable, better performance, and so on. But mouth-foaming, spittle-spouting, rage-posting, hate-spewing, angry? Nah, not even close. How are you feeling about CIG, Star Citizen, and the community reactions overall? Lore from Zira. Accessing the ARC Star Map databank for Tanga. Government alignment is unclaimed. At the heart of an unusual rectangular planetary nebula lies the Tanga star system. The main sequence star at its center has entered into a white dwarf phase. With Tanga's two planets located on the outer edges of the system, scientists believe its inner planets were destroyed when the star expanded. Miners have found a variety of precious and heavy metals in its asteroid belt and believe the resources to be remnants of Tanga's inner planets. The star has ejected its outer layers and formed a picturesque nebula that draws sightseers to the system. Tanga now consists of Tanga 1, a former gas giant, Tanga 2, an ice giant, and the Tanga Beta Alpha asteroid belt. It also possesses jump points to Bremen and Odin. Record complete. It was my pleasure to serve you. Thank you for using the ARC. For more information on Tanga, be sure to check out the star map matrix on alicianasworld.com. I'll include a direct link in the show notes. PVP, are you in or out? Even though there have always been plans for Star Citizen to include PvP, there are backers more interested in a PvE-only experience. In the early days, CIG discussed having a slider that would allow players to set their preference for exposure to PvP encounters. That idea has since been scrapped for technical reasons, but we haven't had definitive information on how it's going to work instead. Although I play MMOs that include PvP, I don't consider myself a PvP player. I will fight someone if they bring drama to my door. I will participate in org-run PvP operations. However, I would never play a game that focused heavily on PvP, such as Darkfall did. Some might consider EVE Online in that category, but I disagree because of the robust economy and industry career options. There are many players in EVE Online who have never actually participated in PvP. I think the sooner CIG clarifies how this is going to work, the better off for the community. Posts from players complaining that someone is camping the landing pad at Grimhex or killed them unprovoked at Kovalex leads me to believe they don't understand the game they've signed up for. And it's not helpful that we haven't been provided with a clear black and white document spelling it out. 
Personally, I prefer rule sets where there are distinct PvE and PvP zones, such as World of Warcraft, Aeon, Arcage, and the like. I find this to be the best of both worlds. PvE-only players know where to stay, and PvP players have their areas of conflict. For all the horrors of the launch, hacks, and cash shop grab, Arcage had an excellent rule set for PvP. It rewarded players for taking the risk of traversing PvP zones. Certain materials and NPCs could only be accessed in PvP areas. The highest payouts for delivering goods necessitated that you cross PvP zones as well. Want to play it safe and just enjoy yourself? Great, you can do that minus the best rewards since you're taking the least amount of risk. I did both. When I was alone delivering goods, I took the best price I could get transporting across safe zones. With the guild, we traveled through PvP zones on land and by sea. For these reasons, I always felt the Arcage model was a win-win. Based on how security has been implemented in Stanton, I get the impression that Star Citizen PvP is going to have a rule set closer to EVE Online. There will be zones where you should be relatively safe but no game mechanics to ensure it. If someone wants to trade their life for yours, they can. If someone wants to trade their ship for yours, they can. NPC security will retaliate, but it won't be in time to prevent an aggressor from killing you first. This is how it works in EVE and for the most part is enough of a deterrent. Concord, EVE's NPC security is no joke. There is no surviving their retribution, none. If you attack someone in safe space, your ship is forfeit. There was a time when kamikaze killings of players in safe zones were done just for the lulls. These days, it's a bit more sophisticated. Pirates are using alt or friends and having them there to pick up the dropped goods and salvage ships after killing haulers in safe zones. So now it can be done for profit, but even still, it's not a common occurrence in my experience. I'd be okay with an EVE-like model, but that's not going to be to everyone's taste. I think the NPC retribution options need to be strong and swift. The gradual permadeath mechanic will also be a deterrent to some, but not all. Whatever the plans are, it's important for them to be clarified sooner than later. Let's get the misconceptions cleared up as soon as possible so players can make informed decisions. Related to this topic, I recently did an article on Redacted.tv discussing the top 10 things Star Citizen players can learn from EVE Online. Some players are going to need an attitude adjustment and realignment of their expectations in order to get the most out of a sandbox MMO with PvP elements. EVE Now has a free-to-play model that I highly recommend. I'll include a link in the show notes. What's your stance on PvP? What's your best case scenario for the PvP rule set in Star Citizen? Chop Shop by Alisiana Noir. All rights reserved. White hot lightning exploded inside her head, or at least that's how it felt. Cammy screamed and convulsed. 
pain rippled through her like a jackhammer. She bucked violently. Rough hands tried to still her. She felt someone shove something between her teeth. All around, sensors blared, voices yelled. She wanted to die. She felt a sharp jab in her left arm. Instinctively, she rolled her head in that direction, but she couldn't see. It was like staring into the sun from one eye and blackness from the other. Slowly, a measure of her pain receded. Her limbs felt heavy, the voices around her quieted. She was weightless and floating away. Wait, no, being carried. Cammie tried to reach out, but her hand flopped back down like a dead fish. She felt someone take her hand and squeeze it gently before folding it up over her chest. When darkness came for her, she wanted to resist. To tell death calling him had been a mistake. The pain was manageable now. She fought to stay conscious, but her eyelids were like lead. Her world faded to black. Cammie moaned. She could feel every beat of her heart as a pile driver behind her right eye. The vision from her left was blurry. She tried to look around, only to realize her head was being restrained. She blinked a few times, and her surroundings came into focus. Using her peripheral vision, she could see that she was in a makeshift medbay aboard a ship. The wall racks and wenches on the ceiling gave her the impression it was actually a retrofitted cargo bay. There was another medical cot with an auto dock to her immediate left. A stained curtain separated the two beds, but they were drawn back. Across from her, she saw yellow chipped and scuffed components and the once white MISC logo now gray with the edges faded. Familiar with the layout, she knew that the storage containers bolted along the far wall were blocking the freelancer emblem. The med bay sounded hollow, like being inside a tin can. It echoed the faint sounds of a monitor chirping out the rhythm of her heart. The equipment in her field of view looked dated and dingy, held together with plexi and cable ties. A basin of blood-soaked rags was on a metal tray at her feet. She heard a mumble a short distance away, but couldn't turn to see anyone. She tried to speak, but it came out as a croak. Where? Where? A man in a rumpled khaki jumpsuit hobbled into view. He was hunched over, age bearing down on him. His brown face was cracked like old leather. Awake? He clapped his hands together and nodded. Rasa very happy see this. His smile was genuine. Cammy tried speaking again. Where am I? What happened? Accident, them say, Rasa replied. Came rushing, nearly knocked off orbit, docking fast and reckless. He tutted under his breath as he moved to read Cammy's vitals on the autodoc display. Four carried you on stretcher, had you topped off with opes for pain. Surprise you lasted from Tanga. Near jump, I guess. Cammy's reply had the halting cadence of someone trying to remember a dream, or a nightmare in this case. 
We were, I think, lots of bottom-feeding miners in Tanga, harvesting fast, chasing heavy metals. Her voice gained more confidence. I was clearing a jam from the pulverizer. Piece of shit barely worked. We usually take the raws over to Greyjaw, Jimmy Cheese Reclaimer. This shift we were trying to stay out longer. Make a few creds extra for each of us. Luther and I were at it with rods, trying to clear the input tray. It started grinding, and then there was a high-pitched squeal. Cammie shuddered. Fragments spun loose and she started inhaling in short, shallow bursts as if suffocating. Rasa, still standing near the auto dock controls, tapped a button, then moved to stand beside her. Cammie felt an icy coldness creep up her arm that had the IV. Her body began to relax. The rising terror on her face melted away. Rest now is over. Be good soon, can go home. Home? He smiled down at her. Yes, he nodded several times. Eye socket cleaned and stitched and gave plasma. Need patch for a few weeks. He patted her hand. But it's good, yes, can go home next day. Enthusiastically, he added, and have change. Change? Cammy struggled to keep up with what Rasa was saying, but she was being tugged down into darkness. As if giving good news, he said, Yes, I do fair prices. Friends leave your share and a bit extra, they say. Help you straight. Cammy replied in a small voice, her tongue heavy in her mouth. But my, my eye? Is it fixed? She went to lift a hand to it, only to realize they were strapped to the bed. Rasa sighed, is gone, ruptured, more force, you dead. An alert sounded. He checked his Moby, new patient. He plucked at his overgrown salt and pepper beard while reading the details. Seems quick fix. You rest. Rasa come back soon. In a monosyllabic tone, he said, Bed two, curtains. As Rasa stepped back out of the way, the curtains around Cammy's bed began closing. She tried to shout out, but it came as a whisper. Wait, please, don't go. I need you to... But it was too late. The curtains swished into place around her, blocking off her view of the rest of the room. Her eyes closed to the step-slide thump of Ross's retreating footsteps. When Cammie woke again, she was propped up in bed with the curtains open. The bed next to her was empty, but there was a stainless steel cart beside it. Surgical tools, stained bandages, and a used syringe lay on the top tray. Minus the restraints, she gingerly probed the area around her right eye. A wad of gauze was pushed into the socket and secured with medical tape. On top of that was an eye patch. She winced when her fingers skimmed the skin around the bandage. It was taut and hot to the touch. She looked up when she heard the cabin door swoosh open. It got stuck halfway on the first attempt. She saw Rasa step back and then forward to try again. The tired look on his face brightened when he noticed that she was awake. Good, good, let's see, 
He walked over to Cammy's bedside, his progress hampered by his left leg. It trailed behind him until he pulled it forward with a quick jerk. Examining her injury, he lifted the patch and posted his handiwork. Is good. Very good work, he praised himself. Ouch! Cammy tried to pull back from the less than gentle examination. He glanced at the autodoc. Sorry, meds worn off. Can give one more dose. Thank you, she replied with relief. Look, I need a replacement put in. How much does something like that cost? Rasa chuckled and shuffled over to the other med bay. You got change, but not that much. He sprayed the bed with a potent antiseptic-smelling foam before wiping it down. The task was made more laborious by his hampered gait and limited reach. You get home fine like are now, he grunted while he cleaned. There is no home, and I can't work like this, she said, gesturing to her missing eye. No papers for Bremen. I don't have any work but mining and tanga. Everyone pulls double duty on salvage and miners. No one is going to hire me gimped. Rasa gathered up the used surgical instruments and placed them in a vial filled with blue liquid on the lower half of the cart. He balled up the bandages and chucked them into a nearby recycler. Sounding winded from the effort, he gingerly lowered himself on a nearby cushioned stool and swiveled to face Cammy. Be running, he asked, but he didn't wait for a reply. Tanga, Bremen, no one check in. No one wants these parts, but lowers work in these rocks, and folks like Rasa doing services, he said while tapping his chest. Cammy looked away. I can't make it out there like this. If you know this place like it sounds, you know everyone is replaceable. There are many waiting to take the next job. No one's going to hire me. She turned back to Rasa, who was watching her intently. Take all that I have. I'll come back with more, I promise. Looking around for her personal items, she added, Sell my Moby. It's a decent one. I can get by without it. Gesturing around her, she said, Place looks like shit. Belatedly, she added, No offense. I can fix things and make minor repairs for you. Please just help me. Rasa sighed. No need. Don't need fix. Just hanging till gone. Sorry, young one. No creds to even buy what's needed, not counting Rasa fee. Cammy dropped her gaze to her lap where her fingers were at war with the bedsheets. Friend have fuel station nearby. Lots come for supplies, too. We go, can set beacon there for a couple days. Ask about work. Rasa knows the good ones. Cammy's voice was flat, dejected. Sure. Thanks. Resigned, she asked. Can you at least tell me what I need and how much it cost? She didn't know Rasa, but her gut told her that he could be trusted. This way I don't get robbed when the time comes. She tried for a smile, but the edges of her mouth barely moved. Rasa reluctantly agreed. Yes, need sleep first. Come back soon. It took him two attempts to stand up from the stool before slowly making his way out of the cabin. Cammy tried to quiet the panic inside her chest. It had taken her two standard Earth years to find a spot on Rally One. 
a trio of independently owned ships that work together mining and salvaging their way through backwater systems like Tanga. Decent captain, crew, and fair split on profits wasn't easy to find. She was assigned to the Orion, but occasionally helped out on the Reclaimer and Prospector. Her dream was to someday buy a salvage prospector to restore over time and captain her own ship. She knew that saving up that much alone was such a long shot. Even so, she allowed herself to dream. It kept her going when profits were low and stomachs empty, when shifts were long and the ship was cold trying to conserve fuel. Even with the ups and downs, the rally organization had a great reputation among the low-tier miners and salvagers. There were a line of people waiting to take her spot, and Rally One couldn't afford to hold it just for her. She knew this and didn't resent it, even though it made her gut twist to think about. They had families to feed. She just had herself. But the idea of finding a new spot was terrifying. Alone out in the black was a dangerous place to be. She wasn't afraid of being hungry as much as she was the potential for violence. She'd fended off attacks a time or two, barely escaping. The memory made bile rise in her throat. Trying to steer clear of painful memories, she focused on the present. She wondered how much change she had left. How long could she make it last? She knew about stretching credits. That wasn't new. Unfortunately, she also knew that the local Tanga teams were full. That is, any crew she'd even consider joining. Her vision blurred as a trail of tears ran down one side of her face. She dashed them away. There's no crying in space, she reminded herself. When Rasa came back, he was carrying a disposable tray with two containers on top. He still had dark circles around his eyes. Was he hunched over even more? He sat the tray on Cammy's lap. She picked up the containers one at a time and read the labels. Pure clean water with electrolytes and protein cubes. Space rations. Been five days, tubes gone, need start eating, Ross explained. Okay, thanks. We exam for cyber replacement. Managing her expectations, he added, just to see, okay? Cammy perked up, yes, please. She set the tray beside her on the bed when she felt it begin to recline. Making his way to the auto dock, he continued, after... We head to Fuel Depot a couple days and see. Thank you, really. Cammy reached out and touched Ross's sleeve. This isn't your problem. I appreciate the help. Understand. Had family. Wife, two kids. Hope someone helped them before over. Over? Cammy hesitated. Are they gone? Yes. All lost in Caliban. So few escape attack. Wife and daughter, medics. Son captain in military. Me surgical assist. He let out a long sigh, completely emptying his lungs. Confusion during UEE retreat were separated. They never made out. He wiped at the corner of his eyes. 
will join in next life. A sad smile on his face. Soon. Cammie was at a loss for words. She was missing an eye. Clearly not the end of the world, she tried to tell herself. But she couldn't shake the feeling that in her case, it very well could be. Sorry for your loss was all she could think to say. Me too. Rasa turned on the auto dock. When the status indicator went from yellow to green, he said, Eval, right eye, replace. To Cammy, he said, hold still, eyes closed. A head restraint extended from the med bay headboard. It cupped the upper portion of Cammy's head and applied firm pressure, clamping her head in place. Cammy laid still, her hands rigid at her sides. The scanning unit positioned over the top of the bed word to life. Initiating scan one, evaluation for cybernetic eye replacement. A light blue beam swept up and down and side to side on Cammy's face. Skeletal frame complete, initiating depth scan. Two mechanical hands descended from the scanner. The metal skeleton fingers clicked as they moved. Each finger had probes for fingertips, wires looped from one joint to the next. Hovering a couple of inches above Cammy's face, the scanner repeated, initiating depth scan. Cammy heard a pop and a clang that echoed through the med bay. The spindly metal finger splayed and groped like a crab caught by its shell as they struggled to reach Cammy's face. Rasa cursed under his breath, stupid scanner. Cammy's eyes popped open. What's wrong? The auto dock chimed in. Error, initiating depth scan. The hands continued spasming over Cammy's face. She tried sinking further back into the pillow or turning her head, but no luck. She couldn't move without tearing her scalp. Wait, turn it off. Starting to panic, she grabbed the head restraint with both hands trying to move. It's fine, stop, hurt self. Straining, Rasa reached up and fiddled with a few screws and wires. He groaned from the pain of extending his back while he worked. There. Error initiating depth scan. Canceling request in 10, 9, 8. Rasa used the bed rail to support his weight as he walked to the opposite side of the bed and repeated the adjustments to the scanner. The cancellation countdown stopped. See? Fixed. Relax. Close eyes. Cammy looked at him skeptically. You sure? Yes. Close eyes. To the auto dock, he said. Continue scan. The auto dock whirred back to life. Reinitiating depth scan. The appendages lowered, placing sensors at exact points on both sides of her face. Temples, brow, and around each eye socket. Cammy winced when she felt pressure around her bruised eye, but she kept still as a corpse. After a few seconds, the scanner retracted and announced that the depth scan was completed. Rasa told the autodoc to show the holo. A wireframe holographic image of Cammy's face floated below the scanner. Rasa used his hands to twist the hologram in his direction. 
he spread his hands over it to increase its size. After reviewing it at different angles, he thumped the areas around the right eye, making the other elements disappear until only the damaged eye socket remained. Rasa told the scanner to display the dimensions. Numbers with lead lines pointing to various parts of the hologram appeared. The autodoc had retracted the head restraint when the scan was over. Cami pushed up on her elbows, watching in wonder. She'd never seen someone use a hologram up close and was fascinated. How does it look? Can it be replaced easily? Can not the question. Cost is, he replied. He commanded the autodoc to send the dimension data to his Moby glass. He took a few minutes scanning the open market for a synthetic eye replacement that fit Cami's measurements. He knew that the most affordable option would be an eyeball replacement made using a 3D bioprinter, but even those didn't come cheap. Lesser organs were more reasonably priced, blood vessels, an ear, a finger and such, but the complexity of the human eye kept the price out of reach for most civilians. When the Moby returned a price, Ross's eyebrow arched up to his hairline and he grunted. What? How much? Cami asked anxiously. Rasa leaned in and let Cami see for herself. She caught her breath. Oh, wow. There was nothing more to say. No favors to ask. It was completely out of her reach. A feeling of despair settled in her belly. You dress. We go refuel station couple days and see. Resigned, Cami said. Sure, thanks for checking. It felt good to be up and around at least. Rasa had given Cami all of the personal belongings the Rally One team had brought with her. She thought about trying to artfully cover her eye patch with her hair, then decided against it. This was her new reality. So instead, she swept the shoulder-length brown curly hair up into a high ponytail. The Bremen fueling station Rasa used was privately owned by a man named Jim Haven. It was an add-as-you-go affair. Fuel dispensaries formed an unevenly spaced arc around the back of a battered starfarer. The day they'd arrived, she'd seen the starfarer carefully back its way into the arch to refill the dispensers. Once in place, customers were allowed to come on board and check the cargo hold to trade or buy supplies. Rasa had left the ship to talk to Jim and others he knew. He was putting out the word that he had a patient that needed work. He came back with bad news. No one had or knew of anything being available. On the second day, Cami decided to quiet the nervousness in her gut by fixing a few things in the makeshift med bay. She'd asked Rasa if he had any tools. He pointed her to a container with a variety of rusted tools, cables, wires, and plexiguns all scrambled together in a heap. She spent an hour sorting out the contents and cleaning the tools before replacing the wiring and the bolts on the scanner and fixing the cabin door that stuck when it slid open. The work hadn't erased her sense of loss and concern, wondering what she was going to do next, but it had at least passed the time. Cammy was sitting on the med bay eating a bowl of soy noodles when Rasa came in. He clearly had something on his mind. Bad news, no doubt, 
she thought to herself. Rasa rolled the cushion stool over to Cammy and sat down. No luck, we tried. I know, and I appreciate it very much. Need return, my spot, is where customers know to come. Not all have beacons. I understand. She looked around the cabin, noting where her things were. She'd gather them and get off here. Maybe pay for a ride to a busier location. I'll get my things and get off here. I'm going to try to... Rasa put up his hands for her to wait and cut her off mid-sentence. You come with me. Stay. Tapping his chest, he continued. I teach. You help and fix things. Cammy's mouth fell open. She was at a loss. Was he serious? Stay here? It was tight quarters and no privacy in the sleeping berths, but she could sleep in the med bay when no patients were there, she guessed. It was safe. He was kind. It would give her time to figure things out. He nodded. Not hardly much pay, but have bunk, food, and safe. Is safe here. He stopped speaking, breathing, and closed his eyes for a moment. When he opened them again, he said, Rasa tired. I'm waiting to join family in next life. Cammy heard a sense of peace in his voice when he talked about being ready to join his family, so sure in his beliefs that he would. The calmness he radiated washed over her. How can I possibly? I'm not a medic. Do autodoc service only when Rasa gone. Go place where is less fee but more work. You young can do. He smiled. Leave if find better. Till then is home. Gesturing around, he said, You keep when Rasa go. Scavengers don't deserve. You have. Cammy's mind was racing. Was he for real? Why do this for her? No one had offered her so much since the elderly couple had smuggled her and five other teens out of the state-run orphanage on Charon 3. The couple used to deliver supplies a few times a year. However, the increase in attacks and bombings made up their minds to drop the route altogether. On their last trip, they offered to smuggle out anyone willing to go. Fairly poor themselves, they had little to offer but this chance at freedom. They dropped the lot of them at a space station in Tyrol. They'd given each of them a couple of credits, a sleeping roll, and a few days of cubed protein rations. Those first few months had been terrifying, in some ways more so than the civil war that was raging in Charon. What think? Cammy returned from her reverie, wide-eyed and dumbstruck. She found it hard to speak above the lump in her throat. Are you sure you don't have someone, anyone else to leave this to? No. All lost. All gone. Cammy slid down from the bed and crouched in front of Rasa. Taking his hands in hers, she said, Yes, I would like that, and I will do all all that I can do to help you. They were both crying now and not ashamed, not trying to hide the tears. Cammy swore to herself that she would repay this kindness 
She would help him. She would fix the ship, and she would learn all that he wanted to teach her. In time, he could just rest. She'd do it all and take care of him. A different kind of future blossomed in her mind's eye. Joy swelled in her chest and rung in her ears. She would repay this gift to Rasa and forward to someone else, somewhere, someday. Wrap up. That wraps up another episode of the Star Citizen Night Bus. I hope you've enjoyed it. If you have, please consider subscribing to my channel and giving the episode a thumbs up. Also consider using my referral code if you haven't created an account yet on robertspaceindustries.com. Doing so will give you 5k in-game credits when the game goes live and grants me some in-game goodies. Be kind and fly safe. This is Alyssiana signing off until next time. The night bus has arrived. Please watch your step while departing. Re-entering stasis in 3, 2, 1.